there were things going on in my immediate family. All of us had some things going on in our life leading up to Charlie's death. I was having some marriage struggles. I think the time in Wisconsin and kind of not having that career I thought I'd hoped to have, then having to go back to work after I had Eli when many of my friends did not. We were just struggling. We were struggling financially. We would we had taken on this huge fixer upper house that was just sucking us dry. Things felt uncertain. We weren't happy. You're listening to the MILF Podcast. This is the show where we talk about motherhood and sexuality with amazing women with fascinating stories to share on the joys of being a MILF. Now here's your host, the MILFiest MILF I know, Jennifer Tracy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is MILF Podcast, the show where we talk about motherhood, entrepreneurship, sexuality, and everything in between. I'm Jennifer Tracy, your host. Oh, episode 60. What? In some ways, I feel like I just started doing this, but that's kind of a big number. Just taking a moment to recognize that. Very cool. I'm so honored that 60 women have made the time in their very busy schedules to sit down and talk with me for an hour. Like that's such an honor. I'm so honored. Thank you all. Today's guest is Haley Evans. Haley came to me, she emailed me and she said, I really like your show and I want to be on it. And I wrote this book. I looked at everything that she sent me. And I looked at the book and I was like, this woman's badass. She wrote a book called The Big Hang Up. And she did all this research about how, basically how addicted we all are to our devices, our phones, and how it's impacting our lives, you know, our family lives, our home lives, our emotional well-being. It's staggering, but not shocking because I know I'll speak for myself. I can feel it. I can feel how addicted I am to my phone. And I really make an effort to just put it away, like away from my person, because there's just something, there's something chemical that happens if I don't have it and I'm not like checking it or looking on something or it's really weird. And yet I feel so much better when I'm off of it. It was fascinating speaking with her. She's just absolutely a delight. So I can't wait to share that interview with you shortly. But before that, I just wanted to uh, remind you about this month's give, which is Every Mother Counts. Again, (laughs) I just love them so much and I love what they do. And I want to bring more and more awareness to it. There's a link to their website on my website, milfpodcast.com. You can donate to them directly. And um, they're just doing some really amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. That is that. And then also, I just wanted to... Uh, give a shout out to my team. I'm really so grateful for my team without whom I could not do this. I always try to insert little reminders that I do not do this alone and nor do I want to. (laughs) It's just, it's a lot more fun collaborating. Um, I'm sitting outside. I don't know if you guys can hear the birds chirping, but it's just, it's actually a really nice morning um, here in LA. So I'm sitting outside, but if you're hearing crazy sounds, that's what it is. Thank you to my amazing MILF team. I'm really grateful for you. And today's episode is brought to you by Serpent Lane. Serpentlane.com is a beautiful curated online lingerie store where you can buy fun, provocative, affordable, size-inclusive lingerie. And MILF listeners get an exclusive 15% off their order with the code MILF15. I 
happen to know the owner uh, very closely. She's one of my best friends. And I own so much stuff from that place because it is fun and it's it's affordable. And she it's not the kind of thing where you're shopping online for lingerie and you think, oh, I don't look like her. Like th- she chooses models that are all different sizes and shapes and ages. And, and that is really lovely to experience because then I'm not feeling like, well, I'm not going to look like that in that lingerie. But many of the models, many of the, not the models, many of the uh, lingerie pieces, I'm like, I want to look like that in that lingerie. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's really, it's really fun experience just to go on there and, and browse even. So serpentlane.com is the website and MILF15 is your exclusive discount code. Thank you, Serpent Lane, for sponsoring MILF Podcast. We love you so much. So without further ado, here's my interview with Haley Evans. Hi, Haley. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are in Knoxville, Tennessee, and you were just telling me how you've been going on your morning runs and enjoying this sort of, it's still spring weather there. Awesome. Yeah, good. great. Good. And where did you grow up? So I actually grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. You did? Born and raised? Born and raised. And then um, I used to always joke that, or my mom used to joke that I was too big for my britches. So I could not wait to get to a big city. Of course. And um, I did. So my aunt worked in the marketing department for Bloomingdale's and she was able to help me get an internship with their marketing department. So I guess it was the summer after my junior year. I did an internship in Manhattan and I, oh my God, I loved it. It was. Yeah. It's so great. When, especially when you're that age. Yeah. There's really nothing better. I was poor. I yeah. we shared, I think there were four of us that had a one bedroom co-op apartment. Yeah. So whoever got home first got the bed. <laughs> I love it. And then whoever, you know, you got the couch or the floor, but yeah. it was amazing. And I think honestly, my plan would have been to continue working with them and move back to the city, but I got engaged and. Obviously, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So you you got engaged, you got married, and then how soon? When then? How did that change the trajectory of your what you thought your career was going to be at that time? So my fiance actually had a job in Wisconsin. Okay. So that was took the trajectory of my life in a different plan because again, I was going to Manhattan. I was gonna, I don't know, be busy and have a cell phone that rang a lot. It was kind of like the way I envisioned. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. around in heels somewhere. Yeah. Sex so in the we, city. Precisely. Yeah. 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 I wanted I wanted to be friends with them too. <laughs> of course. Who who but, doesn't? So we ended up moving to this small little town in Wisconsin. And um again, it's so interesting to me how life always plays out precisely the way it should. But I really I struggled to find a job when I got there. So here, like I had been like the straight A student in college, like really focused, really career driven. And my husband was like a drunk fraternity guy for the first two years. And then, you know, finally got his act together towards the end. And he didn't really know what he wanted to do, but got this job offer with a great company with opportunity for growth. And so we went and um, for months I could not find a job. And it was really bad because I got really... I was depressed anyway, because I'd left home really for the first time, you know, going far across the country. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any family and I didn't have a job. So I kind of felt like a big loser. But ironically, I ended up getting a job at the Oshkosh Northwestern newspaper. 
And I don't know, I kind of, it probably was like the spark that kind of brought my life full circle because I had, I guess my first writing began with my middle school newspaper. Um, I loved it. And for some reason, never considered English writing or anything like that in college. I, I, it's weird. Like I had this mental block. I don't know. I was so focused on a career and how I was going to make money. And right. Well, and, 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 you know, most people think of writers as like poor, which is ironic. They, they think of them as poor young people living in a one bedroom apartment with whoever gets home first gets them. <laughs> yeah. They think, or, or yeah. like, you know, in a hovel somewhere with a typewriter and a bottle of whiskey there, there's just, is there, so it's understandable that you didn't, you, you had aspirations. And what I'm hearing is you had aspirations for yourself. And at the time from whatever messaging you'd received about writing, you thought, well, that's not an option. Or maybe you didn't even think, you know, consciously that's not an option, but you just, it didn't become an option. For it you. didn't become an option. Yeah. And, but again, so I end up working at this newspaper as like a, this, I was selling advertising essentially. Um, so I wasn't writing at all, um, but I was around it. You know what I mean? I was around it. We, the advertising department, it was a teeny little newspaper and the advertising department shared um, shared a floor with the um, editorial department. So I don't know. It just kind of, I hadn't written anything in a long time. And what was your degree in in college? I'm sorry to interrupt you. What was your degree in in college? Marketing, which is slang for, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. So I bet it comes in useful. Do you know? So actually I will tell you, and you'll probably agree. I think all writers will tell you that they are practiced in the study of humans. I mean, that's how we come up with our characters. That's how we develop our stories. And I've been studying humans my whole life. I always, I go back, I was an overweight child, teased relentlessly, you know, by evil middle schoolers. And so I, I studied them obviously to see what I could do to avoid the pain, the the harassment. Right. And so anyway, I do think marketing sales, you know, the whole point of it is to persuade people to act differently, to, to change behavior. And so I'm actually still in sales and right at the same time, but I do find it fascinating because really you're not, nobody's selling a product. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess technically I'm selling a product. That's how I get paid, but really it's about making and cultivating relationships with people and understanding kind of what makes them tick. So while I once felt like I was a failure to myself because I'm like, really sales? But I love it because I, I still get to study humans. And really, that's what I love. Yes. Well, so, okay, so let's back up for a second. I want to go back to the newspaper in the Oshkosh newspaper in Wisconsin. So you're how old when you're you're there and you're living with your fiance? Uh-huh. I was 22, 23. Baby. Your baby. A baby. I mean, but, you know, when we're that age, we think we're, you know, we, we think, think we're, we're adults and we are legally, but... <laughs> You know, so, okay. So then what was, what happened from there? So we had seven really awesome years there. I will say it was probably the best thing for our marriage because we didn't have any friends. We didn't have any family. And so we kind of, kind of made our own way. Um, we ended up 
becoming friends with a really awesome group of people. We all, they were all getting married about the same time or I just gotten married. Many of us had our first babies together. Um, but ultimately what brought us back home is, is my brother, my 19 year old brother, um, died horribly, tragically. Actually yesterday was the 12th anniversary of his death. And I mean, it feels like yesterday. Well, it was awful. So I'm the oldest of the four of us. It was myself. And then I have three younger brothers and Charlie was the baby. Um, so there was a big age difference between the two of us, I guess, 10, I always forget the months, but like 10 years, essentially. And so at the time, my the brother below me had just moved to like, you know, graduated college was starting his life. My other brother, um, same thing had moved to Charlotte was starting his new life. And I just, I think I'd wanted to go home for a long time because I had a son. I should mention that when I was in Wisconsin. So at when my brother died, um, Eli was about 18 months old. And so since he was born, I really did kind of feel like I was cheating him on this, I don't know, growing up where I grew up and having my parents around and my husband's around. So when my brother died, I just, you know, I told my husband, like, we have to go home. I just worried. I worried that my parents might not want to survive it. And I, you know, I don't want to take anything from them because my parents are incredibly strong people, very faithful. But I don't know. I just felt the pressure to go home and oversee that, to make sure that they got to the other side. You know what I mean? So we literally, I came home from the funeral and I never went back. I mean, I may have gone back for just a minute, but my husband, um, you know, got the house on the market and we moved back home and that was when it's obviously horrible, horrible time to watch, to watch your parents lose a child. Horrible. It's horrible. Right. And having a, a baby of your own, I mean, a toddler at the time that, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a lot. Well, and then I found out, so we moved back home. Charlie died June 9th and I moved back home maybe July. And I guess in August, I found out I was pregnant with twins. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, that was, um, I, I'm telling you, my brother was like, I know what would be really funny. <laughs> like that'll, that would give them something to live for, you know, because it's going to be like all hands on deck. So we ended up buying this fixer upper house, about five houses up the street from my parents, like temporary, you know, 12 years later, we're still in the temporary house. <laughs> because when you have an 18 month old and infant twins, like you got to be up the street from your mother or you have to have live and help. So anyway, um, but in the years after Charlie's death, I was so profoundly moved by the idea of everything happens for a reason, like, cause people kept saying that. And I'll be honest, I was like, note to self, I will never say that to someone who is grieving, who is grieving because really like my mom would have flipped the bird at whatever reason you could have given her because she doesn't really care. She wanted her baby back. You know what I mean? But um, how can I put this? There were things going on in my immediate family. All of us had some things going on in our life leading up to Charlie's death. I was having some marriage struggles. I think the time in Wisconsin and kind of not having that career I thought I'd hoped to have. 
then having to go back to work after I had Eli when many of my friends did not, we were just struggling. We were struggling financially. We would, we had taken on this huge fixer upper house that was just sucking us dry. Things felt uncertain. We weren't happy. And then my other brother, William, had found out that a girl he was seeing was pregnant, obviously unplanned. They were struggling big time with that. You know, we are down here in the South where, you know, some people, uh, you know, um, have perceptions about things like that. They were, they were struggling a lot. And so I kept paying attention to what was happening, you know, so Charlie's death happened, right? There's a line drawn in the sand and our lives made this complete, we went off course, you know, now it became this new course, like Charlie's gone. My parents are struggling. We, you know, for me, it was, I'm moving home. I'm quitting my job. I'm starting a new job. I'm renovating a new house. I'm having this baby. Now I'm having these twins. But there was something so profound to me about the fact that I couldn't stop thinking, what if, what if Charlie would not have died? What if he would have been in a different place that night? What if different decisions would have led all of us to be in a different place? What would it look like now? And so the conclusion that I came up to, which is this is what just floored me, is that I think we all would have ended up in the same place. Even if Charlie had not have died, Mm -hmm. I could almost foresee everybody in my intimate circle who I was examining during those years, watching how this is all playing out, you know, how grief is affecting all of us. And I kept seeing it ending up in maybe the same place. Mm. So in other words, you know, this, this idea of does everything happen for a reason? I don't Mm. know. Or do we have free will to act that leads us down the path that we choose and make for ourselves? Or is there sometimes some sort of a divine plan? Maybe I don't know, but I could, the first book I wrote and I wrote feverishly for like probably a I don't know, like six months. I mean, we're talking 400,000 words. So, you know, as a writer, you're, talking, you're, you're talking about a book, but it was all that it was, it was tentatively titled pivot, you know, obviously all pivoting around, you know, this, this death. And then these characters, the spokes on that pivot would have been my family looking at how an event in time can so drastically change your course, but perhaps leave you in the exact same place, you're still ending in the same place. You just got there via a different route, which I don't know if that makes horrific events more palatable or less palatable, or they're still just horrific. But, and then there were other things too, after Charlie's death, that just shook me to my core, you know, different stories I would hear. And so I just started writing and writing and writing and writing and obsessively writing, writing this book. And I think a lot of it was probably therapy for me, working through some of the issues that I've had, not only within our family, but present day. And it was so therapeutic. And at the end, though, I had this book that I still think it's it's been like eight years since I first wrote it. I still believe that that book, although it's morphed about 20 different times, it started out Yeah, it started out as a personal story. And I'm not kidding. So the sixth version, which is called One Stone's Throw, kind of totally unrelated, but not really. It's all about resilience and um, just this faith in humanity. I mean, those are kind of the themes that, that run through both. I dedicated this book, the one that we'll talk about later, um, 
I dedicated it to him because it was his death that inspired me to pick up writing again. And it was, I'm so glad it did because it is totally, it's the outlet that I was so desperately craving for so long. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting, like you said, how we just, we do want that. But for some reason we think, you know, what we really want is connection. And when we write, we're deeply connecting to ourselves. And then in turn, hopefully when other people read it, we're connecting with them. And what you're the the big hang up is about is really about like, Hey, let's connect. <laughs> like let's actually connect to each other. Yeah. You know? Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that beautiful story and, and just, a long I mean, story. I'm sorry, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, please don't apologize. That's it's beautiful. And it's, it's so important to talk about. And you know, what I love and having this podcast is it, it's so amazing when, when one woman shares her story and each of us have such an individual, unique story and pathway. You know, I get so many responses when that podcast comes out of, of women saying, oh, thank you for having that woman on the show. I went through something similar and it's so painful and it's just, it's so soothing. You know, and again, that brings us back to the connecting to each other. Yeah. You have your, you're back in the throes of writing again. You're like really passionate about it. You have a, a son and now twins. <laughs> You're redoing this house. You live close to your parents. I mean, obviously there's a million things in between, like the kids oh growing gosh, up yeah. and dealing with that and, and, and trying to, you know, be and stay married and like all of those things. If there was an event or many events, I'm sure that the latter is the case, that inspired you to write this book about technology and social media and phones and, and all this? Do you know, I think a lot of it is just our lifestyle today, you know? So we all do it all. Most people have two working families. Um, the kids don't just play like rec t-ball. Now you have to do like travel ball, which is five nights a week and Saturday and Sunday tournaments. The little kids can't just do gymnastics and cheer. They have to be on a traveling gymnastics and cheer team that takes you all across the country. And, you know, you can't just go to work and come home. You know, you go to work and pull in on two wheels and you're flying to get, you know, dinner ready, the laundry that you put in the wash under the dryer and crap, we got to be at the ball field in 30 minutes. Water bottles, let's go, you know, emails, phone. So part of it is our lifestyle. Like, I think we have driven ourselves to... (laughs) to the brink as mothers with all that we're trying to accomplish. And then of course, everything, you know, has to be done with perfection and cute. And anyway, I think, I think we've established really unrealistic expectations, I think for moms, at least that's the way I feel. But the problem was that I found myself constantly being inundated by, by this phone, like the the pings on the phone. So I did pull in on two wheels. There are five emails that I needed to send that that I are stuck in my head, you know, that like need to get out so I can check that box. I am trying to get dinner made real quick and I'm trying to also get kids out the door. And what's happening is ping, ping, the phone's pinging, which is, that's one thing, you know, if you could just ignore that. But the problem is, is that every one of those pings is like an action required or time sensitive rabbit hole that I have to jump into head first. So while I'm trying to real quick, like we've got 30 minutes, guys, like, let's just knock out this reading homework real quick. So we don't have to do it at the ball field. And I'm trying to 
like engage with a child, you know, to, uh, you know, you don't want the homework to be rushed. Like I'm trying to engage and help them and try to expand on a concept maybe they don't get. And then the other child is like, this person's texting you, Heather's texting you, mom, Heather, this person, dad's calling, you know, I felt like I was ping, 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 playing ping pong with myself and the phone. And one night in particular, I, I, I just totally went off. I was going off on my husband and he's like, why are you going off on me about the phone? And I'm like, I'm not going off on you. I, but I, I have to vent to someone like I, I got 78 texts today, 78 action requests, all, all that really kind of needed almost immediate attention because a text, like, right, either you res respond right then or the likelihood is that you may never respond because it gets buried under more texts. And he was like, you know what, write a book about it. That's all people talk about anymore. And, you know, I kind of, kind of toiled around with the idea. And then when I started paying attention, literally, the Today Show, Diane Sawyer, um, articles from the New York Times to the Washington Post, all about screen time, excessive screen time. And then I started doing my own research and I was floored, first of all, that there was so much research out there that I had no idea about. But I think what I see it differently from, from most people, I don't think the phone is awful. You know, I love the phone. I don't I don't think that I could or would want to survive without the phone anymore because it it does open up so many great avenues and it, it can be so convenient. I think what is so sad is that it's become an appendage. You know, when you look and it just for fun, like start looking. That's what I tell people. I'm like, if you don't think that there's a problem, like just for fun, put your phone down and go to the grocery store or go to the coffee shop or go to a restaurant, or just go sit on a bench in a park. 100% of people, Tracy, I swear, or at a red light, 100% of people, they don't just have the phone in their bag. 100% of people have the phone in their hand. It's in their hand. Their neck's bent, their eyes are down, and the phone is in their hand. I watch the people in my own family carry it from one room in the house to the other. I have people over for a barbecue. I watch them take it from the back porch to the front porch to the driveway where kids are playing ping pong to the It's like an appendage. I don't want the phone to go away. I don't want social media to go away. I think there's positives in everything. But the phone is not an appendage. And I think the fact that we have become so reliant on it and so obsessed with it that we to the extent where we truly treat it like an appendage, we have to do better because the research out there is startling. I mean, we have to do better. I mean, when you think about the time people spend on their phones up to four and five hours a day, and then you multiply that out by the weeks in a year, well, it's frightening when you really think about like my mom. And what she would give to have an hour of time back with my brother. You know, when you think about it in terms of, you know, I can remember one night in particular, I I had sat down on the couch. You know, we'd had a long day, of course, like dishes were done. The counters had been wiped down and I was sitting on my phone just like scrolling. And I heard Eli, you know, somewhere in my periphery, you know, holler for me. And I'm like, yeah, OK, honey, I'll be right there. And 
I'm still just scrolling because I, you know, I'm entitled to that, I feel like. And then finally, my husband, he's like, your son has hollered for you 10 times. He wants you to come up and tuck him into bed. And I was like, literally, I like had this jolt of what am I doing? I don't have the luxury that other people do that I know that things can change in an instant. Like, why, why am I on this stupid phone instead of laying in the bed? And holding on to my son, like he's begging for me to come up. He won't be begging forever. (laughs) He's 13 now. He doesn't beg anymore. And I think when you think of it like that, and you think about the hours, not minutes, the hours we waste on the phone every day and multiply that out by the week and by the years, then I think that's when people would want to do better because it robs us of our I always say it robs us of our mind, our time, and our engagements and the things and people that matter most. That's my tagline. If you're on the phone for work, fine. If you're sending emails, fine. Even if you're on social media, you know, or getting some recipes, fine. But there are times when we can and should put the phone down and we don't. And that's, I think, what's been so frustrating for me because I've gotten great feedback on the book. You know, they're like, this book's funny. What the hell? It's a book about smartphone addiction. It's funny. I'm like, well, I wrote a book I'd want to read, you know, because who really wants to read a book about smartphone addiction? (laughs) Not me. So I wrote a book about life, but it's also about smartphone addiction. But um, I think the thing that's been frustrating is that people are so addicted to and reliant on and obsessed with their phone that people push back on the movement because they don't want to admit that they're that person, that they are the person that's letting life go on, go on beside them in front of them. And instead they're staring into the abyss of this phone. And when I look at movements that have been driven by women, I know it's possible to start a movement. Look at the processed food. You know, like a couple of years ago, and I shouldn't say that, maybe five years ago, we were not talking about processed food. We were not talking about ingredients we could pronounce. We we were all eating Kashi bars and think we were doing a good job. You know what I mean? High fiber. And, you know, people like um, Michael Pollan and my good friend Lisa Leak with 100 Days of Real Food, they have literally created a movement that have not just people like us that are demanding clean food with ingredients we can pronounce, whole foods that we can feed to our children and feel good about. But you have huge manufacturers of food that are now making clean food with ingredients we can pronounce um, with five, six ingredients. And not, I mean, you look at Akashi bar, there's this many ingredients. Some of them you can pronounce, you know, so I know it's possible. But I think, and and people push back on the processed food movement too. They're like, this is our life. We have to be able to pick up food on the way to a ball field. Like we don't have the luxury of, it's not 1950. We can't like come home and cook dinner while we're waiting on the husband to get home from work. Like we're working. But slowly but surely, when people started to see just how bad processed food was for us and what it was doing to our bodies and our kids' bodies, what happened? We all stood up and said, wait, we want to do better. And people listened. People listened. And that's what I want to do with this with this movement. I don't 
I don't want people to feel like they're being talked at, like put your phone down at bed, which is all you hear about on the news. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's not okay for our phone to be an appendage because we have two hands and we need both of them. And to constantly have a phone in hand, well, it takes a hand away from us for starters. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always like, hey, I need both hands. Can I call you back? Hey, I need both hands. Can I call you back? You have to believe it's necessary to be able to put it down more often. When you think about the, the what's physiologically what happens to us when we're on a phone, when you're, you're on social media and then you get a text, you know, that pops up so you, and it's your child's teacher or your husband or a spouse or a partner or a good friend and you have to quick switch back to that text. And then while you're getting that text, you get an email and then all of a sudden you're like, what the hell was I doing on this phone? Oh, I was going to send Jennifer Tracy a message about, you know, but the ping ponging in your brain. It depletes that of oxygenated glucose, which is essentially the, what you need to do all of your bodily functions to get you through the day. It's why so many of us who wake up with the phone near us and before our mind is even fully awake and we've been sit into a flurry of activity because we had three action required emails, two people sent us a text, there was an email from our boss. You've depleted the oxygenated glucose you need for the day and you haven't even left for work yet. It's why people are stressed, they're anxious, they're overwhelmed, they have migraines. I mean, it's so destructive. It, it's so destructive. You would only have to read a few really boring articles, but I've already done that for you. <laughs> but it's it's incredibly destructive to, to our health. And for anybody who's out there who practices any sort of mindfulness, meditation, yoga, you know the benefit of letting the neurons in your brain still and become quiet. You can think, you can digest, you can create. Your mind is, you have to do that for your mental health. And when we're on the phone, ping-ponging back and forth from application to application all day long, it's just killing our brains. And it's, it's shrinking the brains of our kids. It literally is shrinking the, 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 the brain of our children. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about that. And first of all, thank you. And this is just so like, I have to tell you that leading, I've been so excited. We've had this scheduled for a while. We had to reschedule because I had a thing come up with my kiddo, but I've been anxious about it only because I feel a certain amount of shame and embarrassment about my own smartphone addiction and that my son, he does not have a smartphone. He doesn't have a phone yet, but he's begging for one. He's just finishing. Today's his last day of fourth grade. He's begging me for a phone. Almost all of his friends have phones with cell service, not just like a phone. Yeah. And he has an email account that I've allowed him to have um, or that I set up for him on his iPad so he can FaceTime his friends or... Oh my gosh, we did the same thing with all of our kids. Yeah, That's it just, that did. feels okay. But yeah. And and I I have a little bit of ADD that... I've always had so but I jump around too. I ping pong while we were on this interview I just happened to have my phone sitting here and it was face up and I've gotten a phone call which I denied and then a text from one of my mentors and I'm like oh you need to turn that phone over so that you're not pull because my eyes just from the notification yeah. of it okay so I'll tell you this it's this is the one that fascinates me the most 
just by looking at that notification. So you didn't take action on either of those, but just by no, looking but I at was, them. I, it took me away from focusing on you, which is something that I love and is very important to me. And it's important to respect you and this time together. And so it was very, it's just within the context of exactly what we're talking about. Well, and I read Jean Twinge, who um, wrote a book called iGen. She has done a ton of research and she says, just by looking at a notification, regardless if you take action, it can take you up to 23 minutes to fully re-engage in what you were doing. And that to me was an aha, because let me tell you why. Jennifer, when I sit down, if I am able to carve out an hour to write, and let me, I have busted my ass to carve out that hour. I mean, I have like, my mom's getting this child. This one's been pawned off on another. I've told my husband, like, I'm writing it. Pretend like I'm not here. I've, I've locked myself in the bedroom. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I have one hour. And if the phone is by me and I see a notification, I literally, I find myself 45 minutes in going, I don't even know what the hell I'm writing about. I, 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 don't, I, I in fact, I'm a horrible writer. I should just quit. I don't. <laughs> And there was another study I read that was so fascinating to me is they had people take a test. I'll spare you all the specifics, but they had people take a test. Half of the people they had have their phone with them turned on do not disturb face down on the desk. The other half of the participants had to keep it in another room. And do you know that the people with the phone in the other room performed their test scores were like dramatically higher just by having the phone near your body, because we've been so conditioned to think, did my mentor text me back? Oh, shoot. I was supposed to tell my son, like, we've been so conditioned to think about the phone. Did that article I'm selling or, you know, that that jacket I'm selling on eBay sell or whatever, we've been conditioned to think about it, that it, you only have so much brain power. You can't do or think about two things at once. It's physically impossible. We think we can. We love to talk about multitasking. Multitasking is bullshit. That's all there is to it. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. I can't, I can't do two things at once. And you can't, yeah. but that's what the phone has caused us to do. So we're all living in this state of, uh, if you could picture like a Gravitron, like that's what, it's a tsunami in our brain. That's the yeah. best way I can describe it. Yeah. When you are inundated with information and s- literally switching from one application on your phone to your, to another text, email, Facebook, Instagram, text, email, phone, you're causing a tsunami in your brain that is mm. so destructive. It, mm. That's just all there is to it. It's so destructive. So I don't want anyone to feel, I do think people feel guilty. Like I. I think some of the some of the reason why this has been um, it was an uphill battle at first with the book, which I'll say now that people are reading it, you know, the good words getting out. They're like, wait, this book is funny and it'll make you think. But um, people feel like you do there. This is a very personal, personal thing to people, this phone, and they don't want it taken away from them. And they have gotten so used to having the world at their fingertips that they're petrified of having it taken away. Yeah. I think it's a safety blanket for some people. Well, I want to know where my kids are or I want, and all of those things are valid. And my book, my mission doesn't take any of that away here. Root cause. That's what I kept focusing on when I was writing the Mm -hmm. book. What is the root cause? So there are people like me. um, And I hope other people that want to do better with the phone, like Mm -hmm. they recognize that it's robbed them of their hand and their mind and their engagement and things they want to do better, but they can't. 
And mm. the reason that I believe the root cause of all of this is the fact that we now, it's become the norm to send action required and time sensitive information. Mm. In other words, the expectation is, is that you have your phone on you at all times. Mm-hmm. That's the expectation because who doesn't? Yeah. A hundred percent of people have their phone on them most hours of the day and you will respond immediately or near immediately to any message you're going to get. And, and oh. again, that is, that's not like what some people do. If, if you survey a hundred people, which I have a hundred of them will tell you that, yes, they believe that's the expectation that they will respond immediately or near immediately to a message you get. So you can say, Tracy, I'm at the grocery store. What was that red wine we had yeah. in your house last night? Well, if you don't respond, what? I'm like, hello, did you not? I'm at the store. Right. Like what's, and I'm saying, like, what I'm saying is I had fun at your house. I love the wine you served. I'm complimenting yeah. you. I'm not trying to be rude. What I'm right. saying is I really enjoy the wine. I, you know, I'm, I'm here. Can you tell me what it is? But if you really dissect that message, what I'm saying is stop whatever you're doing and answer my text. Yes. So whatever you're doing is not as important as the fact that I'm at the store and I need your red wine. So if you're yes. helping your little boy with homework or helping him study for a spelling test, the expectation is, is that you're going to stop. Yeah. Disengage with him, answer my text, and now it's going to take you 23 minutes to re-engage fully yeah. on what the two of you guys were doing before. I think the root cause of this whole crisis is right there. It's an action required and time-sensitive messages. I think that makes people fearful of yeah. putting the phone down or turning it off yeah. because they're going to miss an action required or time sensitive message. Now, most of them aren't life or death. Yeah. Most of them. So I don't get the red wine, red wine. Right. You know, I just pick out a, I pick out an old standby that I like and all's good. When you get the message later, you send it to me. I'm not mad, you know, but, but even though it's not important in today's society, every text carries the same importance. Yes. Does that make any sense? Totally. Whether it's me needing red wine or your partner saying, which one of us is picking up George from school, like they they all carry the same weight. Yes. And even though they don't really carry the same weight, we treat them like they do because we still feel the intrinsic pressure to respond immediately or as near immediately as possible. Yes. And so I don't think we can start to be Again, to address the addiction we have to our phones, and it's legitimate. I mean, I it's legitimate. Forty percent of people are legitimately addicted to their phone in this country, and if you single out teens, fifty percent, fifty percent are legitimately addicted. They would rather lose a finger or their sense of smell than lose their cell phone. It's legitimate oh addiction yeah. because the 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 addiction center in your brain doesn't discriminate whether sure. it's sex or drugs or porns or the smartphone sugar yeah the, the totally. sugar the physiological yeah. response is the same and so yeah. i don't think most of us parents would let our kids do well you know a little bit of drugs or just a right. little <laughs> just a little heroin won't hurt you it's normal in our culture today it's just the way society you know like we would still yeah we would still probably step in and and ration that or <laughs> talk about it and so I I really do believe that we will only begin to address smartphone addiction and address when it's necessary to have your phone and when maybe it's not in hand, but just on your person or in your bag. But we're not going to be able to address that until we figure out when it's appropriate to send an action required text and when it's not. So I could give a million examples. And when you want to jump in, just 
jump in, but my husband and I will be like standing in the kitchen and he's, you know, taking one, one child, one way I'm taking one child one way. And I'm like, okay, so like, I didn't do anything for dinner. Like, I think we could whip up a salad. There might be some like leftover, you know, we're talking, we're running out the door. And then literally I'm pulling out of the neighborhood and my phone starts pinging and I glance at it and my husband's texting me. Yeah. Okay. That's a problem because people die every day from texting and driving. People also go to jail when they're the one texting and they kill someone else. So it's not a joke. It's not funny. Like you think it won't happen to you until you're the one that kills a child and goes to jail. You know what? But the point is, is that we're so accustomed that we just text. Like we're a texting society. So my husband saw me pull out of the driveway with his children in the car. Right. He knows I'm getting on an interstate to go 85 miles an hour, you know, yeah. flying down. That's not a text because what he needed was, you know, I don't know. Eli needs his Navy shirt for practice. Do yes. you know where it is? Yes. That's a phone call Yes. because I can safely answer a phone call hands-free. Yes. So that's just one example of like how we just fire off text now without yes. even thinking what's the most efficient way to communicate this information. Sometimes it is a text, yes. a group text to say, the game has been moved to fill yes. two or the 10 o'clock uh, power yoga has been canceled, you know, or. Yes, yes. But we need to stop and decide, like, what's the most effective way to communicate with one another? When does an email make more sense than a text right. or a call? Right. You know, my partner, my work partner was um, out of town last week and there we were. I was trying to finagle a couple of appointments. And so I, who wrote the book about (laughs) hanging up, picked up the phone to shoot her a text. And I'm like, wait, that's so rude. Mm. If you get a text, you either address it immediately or near immediately or never. That's kind of how it's become because it gets buried under other things. Yeah. So I'm like, she's on the beach. So while I'm saying, I've got to get this out of my head and off my to-do list, so I'm going to send it to her. That's so disrespectful. Because now she's on a beach, probably like in the middle of building a sandcastle or Mm. going for a walk or a run with the sand in her toes. And now she's got this text that even though she's probably not going to take action because her calendar is back at the hotel or maybe even at home. Sure, sure. It's on her mind now. Yeah. It's going to annoy the crap out of her until she takes care of it. So you know what I did was I emailed it. I know you're on vacation. I did not want you to get this via text because I don't want you thinking about it. I want you on vacation. When you get back. Take a look at these three appointments. I have conflicts. What can you cover? What do I need to reschedule? And it was on an email because we email's different, right? Like we can, we'll leave them in there for a while. We sort them into different folders. Like yes. you don't have to take immediate action on an email. Yes. So if something doesn't require immediate action, you can't just fire it off to somebody and make it now. Well, now it's their problem. Right. Like I covered my bases. I we just don't even think about how we communicate and what pressure that puts on other people. Yeah. So until we address it, you can't put the damn phone down. Totally. Well, and, and something that, I mean, this is just resonating and ringing so many bells for me, but one of the things is that, you know, my son has, has grown up already the last 10 years in this world. There's no, he doesn't understand a world without internet, a world without cell phones, a world yep. without texting, you know, we'll be watching an old movie and there'll be like a rotary phone and so bizarre <laughs> to him, you know? Yeah. So, um, or a pager, we were watching a movie where somebody had a pager. He's like, what's a pager. I was like, I know. Right. 
And it's there's this also oh. like with Amazon Prime and all this, which again, similar to what you're saying, is wonderful. wonderful. And yet it's built up this expectation, which now is a demand, right? It's we demand immediate action and response Yes, is of instant gratification. And I want it now, like I'll order something mm-hmm. for him, like, you know, new underwear. He needs new underwear, let's mm-hmm. say, for example. And he'll say, well, when is it coming? I'm like, well, it's Prime. It says it'll come in two days. He's like, oh. And I'm like, wow, dude. But that's just, that's not his fault. That's just what he's grown up with. And so my next question to you is, so you have a teenage boy and tween, I'm assuming tween twins. Yes, correct. How are you dealing with this in your own household? Because I would imagine, just because I'm getting it here and he's not even, he'll be 10 next month, not even 10 years old yet. How do you deal with, do they have, first of all, do they have phones uh, or devices or of some sort. How do you manage that? And what's the conversation look like? So the 13 year old has a phone and the rule in our house was you will get a phone when you're not with me more than you're with me. And you're not with, you're not with an adult where I could get in touch with them to get in touch with you. And so sure enough, um, middle school comes, he makes the basketball team and the coach, which I love this. The coach is like, I communicate with the boys. They need to be old enough to be managing their own schedules now. And I like that. And yeah. so I was like, okay, I totally applaud that. Some parents were annoyed. I'm like, oh, I like it. Like I'm, yeah. I'm tired of being cruise ship director. I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it would be like, Hey, you know, practice is at three forty five, And then Eli would get a text or I would get a text saying, Oh, the girls are going to stay and practice late. We're going to scrimmage the girls. You know, we're going to let the boys stay till six. So long story short, I'm like, okay, see, now you need a phone. Cause he yes. wanted an age. Tell me what age. And I said, no, Yeah, I, I'm not telling you when I'll know when it's time. So I gave right. him a phone. Um, he doesn't have any social media that I know of. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I'm not so naive as to know that he's 13, but he doesn't have any social media. That was a hard that was a hard conversation. So he's kind of dropped it as of late. Um, I think he just got sick of, you know, begging for it and me saying no, but he would say, why don't, you know, why don't you trust me? Or Mm. why don't, and I, you know, I said, Eli, here's the deal. Like, of course I can't trust you. You're 13. Ha ha ha. Mm. I'm just teasing him. But I'm like, Eli, it's really not about that for me. So I know you're going to mess up on social media. Um, but you have to mess up if we're going to be able to walk through it, you know, but I said, really, it's not about the trust factor for me. I Mm. said, because that, if I can't trust you, like social media is the least of my worries of the things that's keeping me up at night. I said, the reason I don't want you to have social media is because you already spend so much time on the phone texting and playing Fortnite and watching, I don't know, the world's greatest basketball dunks or whatever he watches, you know, like funny videos. Yes. I'm like, I don't want to give you one more reason to be addicted to the phone because the world is not happening in the phone. The world is happening around you. Yes. So for me, Eli, all the reasons you think I don't want you to have it. I'm like, I probably should be worried about those things because I can only imagine what's out there for you. I'm like, but that's it for me. You already spend enough time on the phone doing what you do on the phone without it. I feel like I would be giving you permission to take a step out of your life and live inside that phone. And I'm, I just can't, I can't allow that to happen. Mm. And so I think that kind of changed the conversation because for the longest time, that's all he, you know, why don't you trust me? And I'm like, my goodness, child, 
Yeah. That's not our issue. So my girls have what your son has. They've got like my brother's old phone that doesn't have Wi-Fi, but they have an email address so they can FaceTime. And they are, they do that musically or TikTok. I don't, I don't know if I've heard of this. Yeah. Where they make the videos. Yes. That's how my girls spend their time on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, I'm torn because it's so amazingly creative Yeah, that I almost don't mind it. So they have like video editing software. They will spend two hours setting up the set for their movie. I mean, like painting backdrops and, and then they take these videos and they edit them. And I'm like, okay, I'm not opposed to that. Like I, I'm not opposed to that, you know, but the, it's the YouTube videos. Like I, I have, um, app limits on their devices because they were watching grown women that are making millions of dollars on YouTube, like making slum. I mean, like, or just like painting their nails for the most random. Yeah. I mean, literally it was. It's worthless. You spend some time. Yeah. It's really. Thank you. That's worthless. And so I was like, absolutely not. So they are now limited to 20 minutes a day on YouTube and if I'm really trying to oversee it, I've just asked them nicely. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to be like the no lady around here. I'm like, just do me a favor. Like, don't waste your life away. If you want to get on YouTube and Google how to make plantain chips, which is what my daughter did this morning. She's like, I bought plantains. I'm going to make homemade plantain chips. I'm like, I love it. That's cool. Yeah. Knock yourself out. So I'm like, if you want to like YouTube a video for plantain chips, knock yourself out. But when you find yourself watching a grown woman, like, (laughs) paint I don't know like her driveway wow. turn it off <laughs> yeah yeah because the passive scrolling online so it's interesting that the research that you know again I don't want to be a scare tactic but the chemical imbalance that a child ex- well we all experience in our brain when we spend excessive amount of time the passive scrolling mm. like the social media scrolling the YouTube watching mm. The chemical imbalance that occurs induces anxiety, stress, and depression. Ugh. And when you look at the the research that's out there with uh, Dr. Twenge and Dr. Um, so if I'm saying that right, um, they've done enough research to say it's really difficult to prove causality between the relationship and the crazy increase in teen suicide Ugh. and phone use. But they said they're they're 100% confident that the two correlate. So. Wow. And who knows, does the chicken or the egg come first? Does spending time like this on your phone create a chemical imbalance to the point that does predispose these kids for depression and anxiety that ultimately lead to suicide? Or is it a depressed suicidal teen who is seeking isolation because they are depressed and suicidal that ends up on their phone. We don't really know if the chicken or egg comes first, but what I will say is we know the chemical imbalance that occurs in all of us. When you're on your phone, if you've ever gotten sucked down a rabbit hole on like Instagram or something, and all of a sudden you look up and you're like, good God, it's been an hour. Like, don't you almost feel like, you know, when you first wake up from a nap and you're just kind of like foggy, like where am I? What time of day is it? Yes. That it induces the same kind of like fuzziness. Yeah. Bottom line, it's not good. There is nothing social about social media. I think it's fun to connect and I love to meet people like you. I'm very selective about the people I follow. I don't follow trillions of people. I follow people that make me laugh, Mm. 
inspire me or make me think about somebody or something in the world differently. Mm. Because to me, that's valuable. Um, It's like a book. I mean, that's what I look for in a book. I want to laugh. I want to cry. And I want to think about something or someone differently. Yeah. And that's what I follow. So my time is I don't allow myself to sit down for hours at a time on Instagram. I make sure that it's time I have that there's not something better I could be doing, even if that means sitting in stillness or reading a magazine. But I I seek out people that definitely add value to my life. And I do it in a very small amount of time. And that's what I'm trying to instill in my kids um, is that the phone isn't bad. It's not their lifeline to the world. And to your point about the fact that they don't know any better, prime example, my 13-year-old, oh my God, he (laughs) wanted to have kids over the last day of school. And I was like, I think that's a great idea. We'll do burgers, hot dogs, cornhole, ping pong, swim. It'll be fun. And so I typed up a text that said, you know, because some of the kids I didn't know from his pod this year, but I'm like, sure, invite them all. Um, So I said, you know, this is, you know, I'm Haley. I'm Eli's mom. He wants to have kids over. We'll be there the whole time. This is at my address. This is my phone number if you have any questions. But so super excited about celebrating the last day of school. Hope your boys can come. I I asked him like a week out, hey, how many people are coming? You know, so I know how much food to get. He's like, well, I don't know. I haven't sent that out. I go, why? He's like, I mean, I don't know, mom. I will. Two days before school. I'm like, Eli. Have you sent it out yet? No, I forgot. I will. Oh, okay. The morning. No, no, no. The night before school is out. So it's a half day. So I was going to work the half day. And I mean, like, I was going to be a crazy woman. I was like, going to go to yoga, come home, shower, blow dry my hair, go to the office, had several appointments, and then fly home on two wheels to be able to get home and get the kids off the bus and have this like great big party. Yeah. So the night before I said, Eli, how many people are coming? He's like, I didn't send the text. And I go, why? And he goes, I mean, I don't understand, mom. It's tomorrow. I'll, I mean, I'm going to send it. And I said, oh, this, wow. is, this is what you don't get, Eli. Yeah. I'm like, so you're going to have 22 parents who are, some of them know me. They don't care. They're going to be like, yeah, yeah, you can go. Have fun. It's at yeah. Eli's house. There are half the parents that don't know who I am. They don't know anything about me. They're probably going to want to enter, you know, call me and just say, hey, are you sure that yes. you don't mind? Ben coming over, what can I send? You're going to have a ton of, like I said, Eli. So they're all going to get this text tonight or now in the morning. And while I'm working, I had two face-to-face appointments, one with my boss, one with the client. I'm like, I can't be responding to 18 action. They're actually required now because their kids are either going to get on the bus with Eli and come home or they're not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I said, you've, you've put me in a horrible position. Mm. Because now I'm going to be in a flurry to respond to these 18 action required yeah. time sensitive messages when I'm trying to have a, a mid-year review with my boss and mm. I, I need to be involved and engaged. And instead I'm thinking, shit, 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 yeah. shit, 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 yeah. I know these moms are texting. So I just yeah. said, Eli, if you would have sent this out last week, I would have had a whole week, you know, like not that I would have put these moms off for a day or two, Yeah. but if I... It would have had to been that moment that I responded back to them. Yes. You know, I could have yes. said, oh, thanks for reaching out. Or better yet, I could have picked up the phone. Hey, yes. I just wanted to introduce myself. We're so thrilled to have the kids over. Like, we don't need a thing, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I, ha- I find myself talking to my kids a lot about how, again, this, this norm that our society has of firing off action-required time-sensitive messages with 100% of people saying that the expectation is that the person yes. on the receiving end 
responds immediately or almost immediately and how that fuels this fire of that we can never put the phone down. Yeah. And I try to talk to them about how, you know, you have to plan ahead. Eli did the, the other night too. He's like, hey, I want to go to well, this so thing. Wait a minute. What happened uh, with the party? Did people come? Because I mean, the thing that I was uh, thinking of is uh, people have plans. They're going to make plans if they don't know that we're having this party. <laughs> right. gonna, yeah. Well, the kids don't plan anymore. Everything is like impromptu. They like wow. don't even know what that means. It's oh, that so annoying. Me crazy. Yeah, yeah it absolutely. I can't. Abso- I, can't I, I can't. So <laughs> you know, my 13 year old and I, that's how I said, if you think the next five years of your life are going to be this fly by the seat of your pants, you've lost your mind. Yeah. If you cannot tell me the who, what, where, when, where, and why, don't yeah. even call me because they'll yeah. call me. Can I go to this thing? Uh, whatever. I'm like, well, who's going to be there? I don't know. Well, what time does it start? Uh, I don't know. Well, what time is it over? I mean, I don't know. I'm like, D- never, never again. <laughs> because, because you know what he says is, well, I'll just text you. I'll just yes. text you when it's time to come get me. And I'm like, that requires me to have the phone in my body totally. at all times. What if I wanted to go walking with a neighbor and I don't want to take my stupid phone? Yeah. If I know I'm picking you up at eight, I will leave for the walk and come back in time to pick you up. I don't want you to text me. Oh, it's crazy. You're not texting me. So all that to be said again, like we could talk about the addiction. We could talk about social media, the passive scrolling, the rise in suicide and depression. I don't think any of us can address the addiction and the time we waste on the phone until we address the way we communicate. And if we continue to send action required time sensitive messages in lieu of a phone call when it's more appropriate or an email when it's more respectful, you know, again, a text isn't respectful because they have no choice but to address it. Yeah. An email is more respectful or maybe a phone call. You know, my role is, is if it's going to take more than two texts to remediate, I'm calling you. Yes. Uh, Like my neighbor, she gets so mad. She texted me the other day. I have leftover sandwiches. I'm like, Oh, great. Well, do you want me to send somebody over? And then she texted. And finally, I picked up the phone and called her. And I'm yeah. like, and and we we handled in 30 seconds. Yes. What, you know, you can sometimes have six or seven texts to remediate uh, where are we meeting for dinner? Yes. Or what are we doing on Saturday that can span, I mean, two hours time. If you sure. go to a yoga class, stop for coffee, drop a child off, get on the interstate. And you could have handled that in one phone two call. Minute phone call. Yeah. One. But instead, we send six or seven inefficient texts that are ping, ping, pinging us to death. Yeah. And and stealing every time that phone pings. Remember, you lost 23 minutes. Yeah. One, I have one more question. We're going to have to wrap up soon, which I hate because I could, I I could literally <laughs> talk to you about this for hours. Oh it's so God, fascinating. No, no, don't do not apologize. This is so valuable and it's fascinating to me and, and I'm living it. You know, we all are. Every, everybody's going to relate to this so much. Do you think, and are there, is there any, you know, scientific evidence or whatever about, um, there's this avoidant, uh, quality, right. To sending a text, like, you know, it's like, Oh, I don't want to call. And, and, and you'll see it. Cause I'm about to have the lightning round of questions. One of my, one of my questions at the end is, do you prefer texting or talking? And, um, almost everyone is who I've had on the show is says, Oh, I prefer talking, but I just, I'm just so tired. I, you know, I text more than I talk or, you know, oh, texting because I don't want to be bothered to talk. There's some sort of avoidant and and with all these dating apps and things, which I, I can't, I I tried it after my divorce for a minute and I was like, I can't do this. (laughs) I'm, I'm texting with these people trying to get to know them. You can't get to know someone over text that you've never met. You just cannot. And then it goes nowhere. 
And I'm like, why did I spend all this time texting this person about where they grew up and where they like to eat in West Hollywood? What is the point of that when it's just so much easier, but it's harder because people are scared. There's a vulnerability. They can hide yes. behind the texting. Like, what do you think about that? So you're, I love it. Absolutely. You're making yourself vulnerable when you have a face-to-face or phone-to-phone call versus the anonymity you're afforded behind the phone. I think, here's what I think. Would I prefer to text? Yes, because it can check it off my list. It gets out of my head and off my to-do list. And I don't have to freaking talk to anyone because God, I'm sick of talking to people. But you know what? I have come, once you rip the Band-Aid off and realize that what I'm doing by sucking it up and making that phone call is I am saving myself 10 annoying pings on my stupid phone and the inefficiency of 12 freaking texts over the course of three hours time because I'm running in and out, hopping in the car. And so the first two or three times you suck it up and go, this is going to take three texts or four texts to remediate. And I've got to run in here and I don't want to carry my phone. And when I come back out in an hour, how annoying is it that we're still trying to figure this out? Once you do it once or twice, you're going to be like, oh my God, that wasn't that bad. Oh my God. And you're done. You're done. They're not going to text you anymore about this. They're not like, it's all done. And you got to figure out all the little nuances of the logistics of whatever it is in one little phone call and it must produce some sort of chemical in the brain. It must give you a little punch of something good because you won't hate it as much as you think you will. So interesting. You have to rip the bandaid off because I'm with everyone else. Good God. I don't want to talk to anyone. Please yeah. don't make me call them, but I'm telling you do it once or twice, rip off the bandaid and get that, whatever it is checked off your list, all of the obscurities worked out and you will feel like a new woman and you will find that you'll gain an hour on the back end of just annoying, ridiculous text that interrupt you. I don't know, trying to read a book or take a walk or water the plants or whatever you're doing. And you'll be able to leave your phone inside. You'll love it. I love that. I love that. Haley, you're just, I just love you. And yes, you have to come to LA. (laughs) We're going to hang out. Um, or I'll come to Knoxville. I love Tennessee. I have, oh my gosh, I have a couple go to of the friends that live down there. Oh, love it. We'll go hiking. Beautiful. We'll put our, we'll yeah. leave our phones at home yes, and we'll go we on will. a nice long hike. All right. So what happens now is I'm going to ask you three questions that I ask every guest. Okay. And then I am going to go into a lightning round of questions. Oh, yay. Okay. So what do you think about Haley when you hear the word MILF? Jennifer Tracy. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Transgender. I read Reese Witherspoon had her, um, one of her books was called, oh God, what I just read it. Um, it's always this way or. Okay. One of her books of the month. Yeah. Okay. And it was, um, well, the, the author said it wasn't based on a real story, except she does have a transgender child. And I mean, Wow. Talk about mm-hmm. like my three criteria for a book made me laugh, yeah. cry, made me think about the world or someone in it differently. As much as I'm so supportive of that community, I think if I'm being really honest, I think I still had some deep buried subconscious um, doubts about yeah. Like, yeah. what that would be like to allow a child of that age to make that big of a... Anyway, oh my gosh, the book was fascinating. And it just yet again, gives you empathy to say, it's, it's hard to hate up close. Yeah. And by that, I yeah. mean, you can, you can say 
you can look at the world or a person or a situation in one way, but when you get real up close to them, it's hard to hate up close because these are people and it was just fascinating. And it broke my heart and gave me such empathy to a mother or father put into that position Mm. for the child who obviously they want to make the best decision for. And wow, what a, what a humbling, it was just a humbling book to read, but Mm. it was great. Oh, I want to read that book. Yeah, it was really, really good. It's fiction, but it was great fiction. I love that. I love that. Well, and and also, obviously, as you said, based on based on truths or collective truths, and and again, so healing. Like it's so important to share those things with specificity because it's that, like you said, specificity that makes it personal and intimate and relatable. And yeah, oh, that's beautiful. Um, how do you define success? Inner peace and contentment. Mm. Boy, how do you get that? I I think you have to, um, you have to put the phone down. (laughs) You have to put the damn phone down. Yeah. I know. I read a quote one time that said the deeper a sorrow carves into your body, the more room you have for joy, essentially. Mm. And so I think for me, it was um, experiencing the tragic loss of my brother and just that really hollowed me out and it, it hollowed me out which made me look at and deal with some of the the sadness and regrets and past events that had happened to me. And they, it, it hollowed me out to a point where push those up, which was mm. uncomfortable at first because I spent a lot of years trying to deal and walk mm. through some of that. Mm. But then they were gone. And so I was just filled up with a, a sense of peace and contentment. And I feel like that alleviates the crave I had for any any financial or status or any of those things that I was craving before, mm-hmm. I ultimately realized that that is what I was craving because that, that this feeling, and I, it, it's transient. Some days I, I'm more peaceful and more content than others. I'm human, but that is, that is what we should all be striving for. And mm-hmm. nothing will ever feel like that. No amount of money, no status, nothing mm-hmm. will feel like peace and contentment. Mm. I love it. What a great answer. Okay. Lightning round of questions. Okay. Ocean or desert? Ocean. Favorite junk food? Raw cookie dough. Oh. (laughs) (sighs) Movies or Broadway show? Oh, I'm moving because I can be at home in my jammies. (laughs) Daytime sex or nighttime sex? Oh, daytime. (laughs) Texting? I like to go to bed early. (laughs) Oh yeah, me too, girl. Texting (laughs) or talking? Talking. Cat person or dog person? Dog. Have you ever worn a unitard? Oh, for sure. I think I have. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shower or bathtub? Oh, bath. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at ping pong? Oh, I suck. (laughs) Two. (laughs) (laughs) What is your biggest pet peeve? People who think they're better than others. Mm. It, I hate that. Mm. If you could push a button and have perfect skin for the rest of your life, but it would also give you incurable halitosis for the rest of your life, would you push it? No. No. God, there's nothing worse than bad breath. <laughs> Superpower choice. Invisibility, ability to fly, or super strength? I want to fly. Mm. Mm. Would you rather have six fingers on both hands or a belly button that looks like foreskin? I'm going to go with the belly button. That up. <laughs> what was the name of your first pet? Gobble Gobble. What? Are you serious? 
I got him on Thanksgiving, and so I named him Gobble Gobble. What kind like of animal turkey. was it? A dog. Oh. Gobble Gobble like the turkey. <laughs> and what was the name of the street you grew up on? Scenic Ridge Cove. So your your born name <laughs> is Gobble Gobble Scenic Ridge. <laughs> I mean. I that, that is, is that's not, no, that's no. naughty. That's nasty. No. That's filthy. <laughs> that porn star will do things that you never even thought of. Oh, oh my God. Haley, I just adore you. Thank you so much for this. This is amazing. Thank you for having me on. I hope that the troop of women that listen to this will help me start a movement. I, yes. I've seen the movements begin before from the processed food movement to hashtag me too, but yes. it's, it takes women that believe there's a reason to do better. Yes, absolutely. To start it. Yeah. So I hope I hope they'll read the book because that's kind of the why we should yes. do better. Yes. Um, where do we find you? Where can my listeners find you? So and, I always send them to my website. Okay. Um, it's thebighangup.com. Okay. Uh, my book's available on my website, thebighangup.com or on Amazon. Um, but the website has everything there. So great. I think that's a good place to start. Awesome. Haley, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Join me next week for a fresh episode of MILF Podcast. And just a reminder to visit serpentlane.com for all your lingerie needs and use the code MILF15 for 15% off. I love you guys. Have a great week.